If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, and we'll read then to the end of chapter 16. As the words read in just a moment and then preached, uh, remember that ultimately it's Christ who preaches to you. Uh, as one uh, uh, pastor gave me the image that stuck in my mind, as, as whoever the faithful pastor is that preaches, uh, Jesus is walking up and down the aisles preaching to every heart. And so let's hear from him. Indeed, with his words, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is God's word for us this morning, and you may be seated. Lord God, would you bless and add your understanding to the reading and now preaching of your holy word. By your spirit, would we see Jesus, and would we taste and see that he is good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do some people, and only some people, hear, truly hear, the gospel of Jesus? Why do some people hear the gospel preached and love it and embrace it and come to know Christ, and other people hear the same gospel, they sat through the same message, they grew up in the same church, maybe even in the same family, and they meet the gospel with indifference or worse, even hatred, animosity. What's going on here? Why do some people hear and some people not hear? Well, to give a different example, in sort of everyday life, why are some people able to form a 
exercise habit that is sustainable and, you know, they work out three or four times a week and they get healthy and it leads to healthier eating and, and you see it. I mean, you, you see the health sort of re- returning to their bodies and, and the strength growing and other people perhaps desire the same thing, but they try and maybe go for a week or two. Uh, they try, but it fails. What's going on here? Why are some people able to do it and some people aren't able to do it? Uh, we, we tend to give the wrong answers. Uh, or perhaps not wrong answers, but we give partially right answers. We, we say, well, you know, some people end up working out because uh, that's good for them, but I don't have enough time to work out. And, and maybe you are too busy, so that's a factor. Or I don't have the right equipment to have a workout regime. And yet we know, even in this sort of simple example, that the person for whom it works, the person for whom they get healthy and they work out, even if they are busy, which they are, and even if they didn't have any equipment, they would make it work. Something deeper is going on. Why do some people hear the gospel and some people don't? Why are some ears open and some ears closed? I hope as we move through this passage, we'll get some hints as to what's going on here in a way that I pray would transform how we think about our own hearts and receptivity to Christ, but also those whom we love, whose ears seem to be shut to the gospel. What do we do? Let's look then. You'll see uh, the main point of the message this morning is to open your ears. To open your ears. Uh, to hear with joy and this Jesus, this gospel. And really, hasn't that been Jesus' message for 16 chapters of Luke? Uh, for years now of his ministry, is that people would open their ears to hear the gospel of the kingdom and embrace it with joy. And yet not everyone has received it, even up till now in Luke chapter 16. And even now he's addressing the Pharisees who are rejecting him. And so would you hear the point of the message this morning? Open your ears. We're going to look at three things that are connected with that. Um, In other words, what what does it take for someone to open their ears? What what are other related things that lead to this? And we'll end with, I think, the, uh, the deepest point of number three. But number one, open ears require open hands. Open ears require open hands. Let's look at verses 19 through 25. Uh, This is really the bulk of the passage. Uh, This is uh, what seems to be a parable that Jesus is giving us. We'll say more about that in a moment. But let's let the text speak for itself. Uh, As Jesus does here and as as, as Luke loves to uh, write about, he provides a comparison of two different people. Uh, We have a rich man on the one hand, and then we have a poor man uh, named Lazarus. The rich man is... Um, you know, Jesus goes uh, uh, to, to no expense, as it were, to tell you how rich he was. Uh, he's wearing purple, this color of royalty and riches. He's wearing fine linen. He feasted sumptuously every day. Uh, that's that same word in the, in the parable of the prodigal son when they, they feast, they celebrate. He's doing this every day. That was a special occasion for them, uh, but he feasts like this every single day. At his gate then, so uh, here's the rich man uh, who has a gate, by the way. <laughs> uh, imagine in this day and age to, to have a gate with its own door and a poor man is placed in front of it. 
And so you have this great contrast. Uh, and you have this man named Lazarus. Um, we'll perhaps say more about it in a moment. Uh, some commentators debate, is, is this Lazarus, the Lazarus we know uh, from the Gospel of John? Uh, or we see his sisters here in the Gospel of Luke. It's the only two times we see the name used, so uh, it wouldn't be inappropriate to think of this as him. Uh, my own view from studying it is I don't necessarily think we're supposed to see this as the Lazarus, um, but it, that's not a hill to die on. So we have this poor man laid at the gate, and, and the description keeps going, covered with sores, covered with sores. Uh, we don't think this is leprosy. If it was leprosy, he wouldn't be allowed in this part of the city, certainly in front of a rich man's gate. Uh, but he has these open sores. He's longing. He's looking through the gate. He's desiring to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Can you think of the desperation of that? Right? I mean, when we put our two two-year-olds and they're eating and, and the food is making its way to the ground... Never have I longed for that food. But this man is so desperate that he's longing uh, for what is not his. Moreover, the dogs came, which dogs weren't cute puppies at this time. They would have been seen as unclean. They came and licked his sores. And so you have this great contrast. I mean, Jesus loves to do this. Uh, he, he loves, the Pharisees would be following along and saying, oh man, what a, what a stark contrast. And then the contrast continues as each of them dies. And, and you already start to see uh, the poor man has died and he's carried away to Abraham's side. We'll say more about that in a moment. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. Uh, The question becomes, is this a, what kind of parable is this? Uh, Because all the other parables, we've wanted to be very careful to say, don't read too much into maybe the structure, or if there's a judge and what they say, and we don't want to apply every detail to every part of life. They're not meant to be allegories in that sense. I do think this is a parable uh, in the sense that Jesus, you know, there was a rich man. That's uh, just that start is, is such a start of a parable. Uh, But I do think there's some spiritual realities that Jesus is utilizing here. In other words, I don't think this is a historical account, as in Jesus saying, I saw this happen on a spiritual level, let me tell you about it. Uh, But a historical fiction, as it were, Uh, as in he's he's using these categories that that are true and biblical that we see elsewhere in Scripture. So, for instance, the rich man is in Hades, which you might think is interesting. That's a Greek term. Uh, There's a Greek god, uh, the god of death. This is being now sort of uh, hijacked by the early church uh, uh, and by Jesus himself to mean, by this point, the place of the dead. It's never applied to believers in Scripture. So it's not a general place of the dead. It's, as we see in our passage, it's a place of torment. And yet it's not the final place of torment uh, because we see later in Revelation that death and Hades themselves are thrown into the lake of fire. And so we call this the inter, intermediary state. Uh, unbelievers will be in torment, awaiting the, what the Revelation calls the second death and eternal torment. Believers, like this poor man, are in what we call paradise. What does Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me in what? In paradise. 
And when that thief was with Jesus in paradise, truly, I mean, the, the moment his breath stopped, he was with his Savior. And yet that thief is longing for the day uh, when the new heavens and the new earth uh, will come. And so does that make sense? Uh, believers and unbelievers uh, temporarily separated from their bodies, uh, either at Jesus' side or here uh, seen as Abraham's side or in torment awaiting the great the greater torment. So the poor man is at Abraham's side or Abraham's uh, bosom or, or his breast, his chest. Uh, this is a, uh, friends would do this. Even Jesus in uh, his last supper uh, would have the disciple whom he loved would lean upon him uh, as they uh, laid out. So this is a, a feast imagery, right? Uh, which is very fitting. This poor man was struggling, longing for what fell from the table and now he's at Abraham's side at this wonderful feast, being cared for, having community, having food, having all that he needs. And like Jesus loves to do, there's this great reversal uh, where this rich man is now looking far off. He's outside the gate, as it were, longing. In some ways, a realistic longing. He, he, he sort of knows intuitively. He, it's not that he's going to get the feast. He just wants a little bit of water on his tongue a little bit of comfort. And what does Abraham say? You in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I think Abraham and therefore Jesus is looking at this man and therefore looking at the hearers, therefore looking at you and saying, don't assume that your hand has nothing to do with your ear. I don't assume that you can know doctrine and know who God is. I mean, think of the Pharisees. They would would know the Bible better than we probably know. They would have more of the Old Testament memorized than perhaps we will in our whole life. Don't assume that you can simply hear and receive Uh, Everything that God wants to teach you, if your hand is closed in a fist. If you say, what's mine is mine. Uh, Like the rich man a few chapters back, you know, you, you say, I have ample goods. Just enjoy it. Let me build barns and barns and store it. It's for me. He's saying, you can do that, but don't assume that doing this will have nothing to do with how you hear or don't hear. Uh, the tighter your fist, the more closed off your ears will be to the gospel. Uh, it's sort of a chicken or the egg question, right? Uh, is it that the ears aren't open and therefore the hands aren't open? Or is it that as the hands close, the ears become closed? You know the right answer. What's the right answer? Yes. <laughs> it works both ways. The closed heart is also has the closed hand, but a closed hand over time will harden the heart, close the ears. First John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Or in Deuteronomy fifteen, if one of your brothers should become poor, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand. And lend to him sufficiently for his need. Uh, and he says, when you do this, uh, your eye, take care lest your eye should look grudgingly on your poor brother 
and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. And do you hear that warning? Uh, that we're called to have an open hand, especially toward one another. Uh, but then we see in Galatians 6.10 that we're, we're to be good to all, and especially those in the household of faith. Uh, be careful uh, that your closed hand isn't leading that, uh, that poor brother to cry out to the Lord who is apt to hear the poor and the needy who love him and know their need for him. This is, of course, a warning for those who don't belong to Christ, but it's a warning for us who belong to Christ. Don't assume that your hand has nothing to do with your ear. Open your hand. Pray that the Spirit would open your hands. It doesn't mean they're simple solutions. Right? Right here in our valley, like many cities, we struggle knowing what to do as we drive down the road and see more and more people without a home. And we know that there's a million different stories represented, uh, a million different levels of responsibility. Uh, we know it's complex. There's no one simple answer. And yet, uh, we tend to give a simple answer. We tend to have just a quick thing that we say, and talking to myself as we drive, a quick sentence or a quick party line so that we could just drive and not think about it. What would it look like to ask the Lord to open our hands, maybe pry them open if needs be? Uh, The beauty is as we do that, I think we will uh, find ourselves that much more receptive uh, to him. Open hands work both ways. As we're open to serving others, we're open to receiving from him. And so if we're to open our ears, uh, we've seen that open ears require open hands. Open ears also require open eyes. Open eyes. If the first point deals with a lack of love uh, that leads to a lack of hearing, the second point deals with a lack of urgency that leads to a lack of hearing. Look at what uh, verse 26 says. Abraham says, Besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there uh, to us. Right? There's a finality, a finality that... This man was unaware of or uh, unresponsive. His eyes were not open as he walked past his gate. Um, it's interesting. He knows Lazarus by name here after death. He, he knew him. He saw him. He knew his name. But his eyes were not open to the urgency of what was going on. The Pharisees' eyes were not open to the urgency of what was going on. And now this man finds himself uh, after death. And now a chasm has been set. There's, there's no second chance here. His eyes are now open, but it's too late. And so he says, I beg you, send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Go warn them. I don't want them to come here. But he said, they have Moses and the prophets. I let them hear them. As we're asking this question, what keeps someone from hearing the gospel It could be, like we've already said, closed hands, which are leading to closed ears, a life that's not reflective of of who Christ is and his priorities. But here we see uh, open eyes, or in this case, shut eyes, eyes that don't see uh, that the end is near, both on a human history level, but uh, for each individual, the end is near anywhere from 30 seconds from now to 30 years from now. They'll have to face 
their maker, what keeps people from hearing. Right? It's so easy. We, we so easily don't have a sense of urgency, and yet there's certain things that wake us up. I, I remember being in seminary and uh, being in a hybrid program, and we would do most of our work ahead of time, and then we'd go to campus, and uh, the organized professors, they would already tell you what all the assignments were when you went back home. But the unorganized professors uh, wouldn't tell you until you got there. And then they wouldn't tell you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, <laughs> we're all tired, not listening very well. But as soon as the professor said, and your final assignments are, every head shot up. <laughs> because whatever they were about to say meant that your next few weeks uh, were going to be great or miserable. Uh, or you were going to go home to your wife and let her know if you would not even see her for the next two weeks, right? Uh, there are things that wake us up. But what has Jesus been doing, right? This, this man calls for Abraham, go and warn my brothers. And in essence, Abraham says they're already being warned. They hear Moses and the prophets. Uh, in, in essence, the good news of the kingdom is being preached. It's, it's not that they're not being warned. It's not that a voice is not ringing out. It's that they're not hearing it. They don't know the urgency. And the Pharisees hearing this, right? They, uh, Jesus, what has Jesus been doing except warning them over and over and preaching and exhorting and warning and telling stories that involve the Pharisees, helping them to see that they're missing it, that they're not hearing it. Uh, it's like being on the coast and the, and the tsunami sirens are just blaring, but you have your noise-canceling headphones on, and when the wave finally hits, you say, I just didn't know. I had no idea this was coming. And Abraham, and therefore Jesus here, says, no, that's, that's not the case. The alarms are blaring full blast, especially here as Jesus, and, and the fullness of time has come. And he's preaching the good news of his kingdom. And he's saying, I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. Uh, my face is set to Jerusalem. I talk about urgency. Jesus is going with urgency to the cross to die for his people. So that all who believe in him would have eternal life. So that all who believe in him would never experience either this first death in Hades or a second death in the lake of fire. They'll know nothing of it. Uh, they'll be at Abraham's side, at Jesus' side. And, and one day in the new heavens and the new earth, this is ringing out. And friend, if you're here today, that means that you're hearing that same gospel, that same warning. And you need to heed it because you don't know, you don't know if your life will end before I, I see you again. You don't know if you're going to hear this gospel preached to you again. And don't assume you have time. Repent and believe in this Jesus who's calling to you even now by name. To have open ears to the gospel requires open hands. It requires open eyes. And lastly, it requires open hearts. Open hearts. As we get to the third point, we realize in some ways that this hasn't really been about our ears, has it? Look at those last couple of verses. Right? He says, let them hear Moses and the prophets. But the, the rich man is, is desperate. No, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, 
Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Are you hearing what is being spoken here? In one sense, it seems reasonable. If Lazarus will now come back from the dead or maybe as a phantom or something, go and visit the brothers, how would that not wake them up? If he goes to them and says, your brother is in torment, believe in this gospel. Isn't that like a, that would be a sure thing, right? But Abraham won't take the bait. He says, no, even if that happened, and they have not been hearing through Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't even hear even then. And don't we tend to think that, right? If, if only I had enough evidence, if God would just speak to me directly, if, if Jesus showed up physically in church here today, everyone would believe. I, I would believe. How would I not? I, 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 I go where the evidence goes. So if Jesus would just show up, I would believe. But that's just not how it is. How do we know that? Well, think about, think about the other Lazarus. Whether this is the same Lazarus or not, it's convenient. Think about the other Lazarus who literally died, who literally was brought back to life, and then all the Pharisees believed in Jesus. No. Actually, at that point in John's gospel, you start to see the hardening as the rulers uh, begin to very much plot to kill Jesus. They, we need to kill this man. Look at these wonders he's doing. We've got to put an end to this. It's actually pride in our hearts that thinks that if Jesus would just show up, if I would just see him face to face, I would be able to believe in him. Forgetting how many people saw Jesus face to face, how many people heard the gospel from his own lips, and who hated him. And just as we've said that you, 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 you hear the gospel today, again, maybe you say today, if I would just see him, but, but the Bible won't let us off the hook because the Bible says in Galatians, when you hear the gospel preached, you actually see Jesus publicly portrayed as crucified before you. In other words, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he's saying, you weren't actually at the cross, but in another sense, you're at the cross now. You're hearing the gospel preached, and therefore you do see Jesus, whether you like it or not. So again, would you believe in this Jesus who's now publicly portrayed to you as crucified? Don't assume like uh, those who are stuck in a vice, uh, like smoking or something else, you know, I, someday I can quit. I know I can quit one day. And the challenge is, well, prove it by quitting right now. Well, no. But one day I could. Don't assume that one day something will change and, and you'll just be able to believe. If Jesus is portrayed to you as crucified now, take hold of him now. And if you're already a believer, would you be reminded of the good news? That if you have seen him, it's the good news of, of two letters here. If uh, it points one, two, and three, you could add an, an ED to each one of these. Who are those who hear but those who have opened 
hearts. Who, who the Holy Spirit has opened their heart to see. Who has given a new heart. Who, who have opened eyes. Eyes that have been pried open to see Jesus. Opened hands that joyfully give. Because it flows from a heart that's been made new in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. He's not waiting for the day that we change something and then we can see. Uh, but the day when the Holy Spirit opens our hearts. And so as you think of those people in your life, those loved ones and friends and family members, many of us have a sibling or a parent or someone who, who in one sense has heard the same gospel and yet is resistant to it. And that should drive us to prayer. God, would you open their heart? Use me if you see fit, but use someone else if you see fit. That's fine. <laughs> open their heart. If you could save me, you could save them. Open their eyes. Open their hands. And so let me ask you this morning, are your ears open and attentive? Are you hearing Jesus right now? Are they open? Are you attentive? With my own kids, and I know many of you have this experience as well, you could be, you could be in the living room with them, watching them play, playing with them, but you could be somewhere else, right? Your mind could be somewhere else. Your heart could be somewhere else. But there's those precious moments, and, and, and there's something, it's not like you just drum it up in yourself, but there's those days when you are radically present in a way that sometimes drives you to tears as you sit with your kids and, and just the simplicity of playing with them and, and seeing what's going on and, and realizing the, the miracle of this moment. <laughs> the gospel is like that in the sense that it's like a light switch. It's, there's, the Spirit is the one who opens our hearts, our eyes, our ears, makes us attentive, helps us to taste and see again that Christ is good. And I pray that that's true of you today. Are your ears open? Because he desires to speak to you today. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. Oh Lord, that it rings out clearly like a warning siren, uh, and yet uh, like a shepherd calling his sheep home. I pray, O oh Lord, that all of our ears would be attentive to you now, this week. Lord, I pray for those uh, today who, of, of whom your spirit is, is opening uh, their hearts, uh, that you would do so fully, that they uh, wouldn't walk out today without knowing you as their Savior. And I pray for each of us, uh, perhaps, who have known you for many years. God, would you remind us again? Would you restore the joy of our salvation? Uh, would you remind us that uh, whether we live or die, it, it's, it's all for Christ. It's all to have him as our greatest treasure. And so be with us now, Lord, as we continue in worship and in fellowship. May it glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.